We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Rob! Howdy, Rob! Wow, howdy doody. Drew, yeah. that was great. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> expecting for you to go quite so country and western right off the bat, but that's good. I'm ready. I can get at that level. I remember I used to watch um, Late Night with Conan O'Brien back when it was on NBC, and they had Robert Smigel. Uh, he would do, like, they would have Bill Clinton up on a screen, but they would leave his lips out. Yes. And Robert yeah. Smigel would be, Robert Smigel would be the voice of Bill Clinton. And he'd be like, just come on Who cares? And just sign me a peace treaty. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. I loved it so much. That was much. a real good uh, example of how uncanny it is to see just a human's mouth and not any other part of that human being. It's very disturbing. just one of the most upsetting visuals that you could imagine. Uh, it's like, that. I watched a Sergio Leone movie called Duck, You Sucker, and there's an extended sequence of all these like rich people eating on a train, and he just, like for like a good two or three minutes, Leone just goes tight on all their mouths as they eat. <laughs> And like chew their food and like say like bad things about like poor people and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like you would not see that in a modern movie because it's so fucking gross, but yep. it's really effective. I'm like, I need these people to get shot and robbed. <laughs> and they do get robbed. And which is great. Lee Van Cleef comes through and makes all your dreams come true. Hey, really nice. Our, uh, our guest this week. Oh, it's a bit of a throwback. It's the uh, one of the original co hosts of this show. It's Tim Marchman. Ooh, Tim wow. Marchman, how you doing, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, for people who don't know, Marchman uh, worked with us uh, at Deadspin back he when Deadspin me. existed. Yes, he hired Roth. Uh, Deadspin, of course, no longer exists. Uh, but Marchman went over to Vice. He is now the features editor for Motherboard over at Vice. And, uh, and he's been huge in the crypto beat lately. And he's also going to help us preview the baseball season because baseball is just a week away, Marchman. Are you so excited? Are your nipples rock hard? I'm I'm vibrating like I've split in, I've split into two beings because all my atoms are vibrating so fast. <laughs> I've broken the laws of space time. Before we get into the baseball, I, I do want to ask about. Uh, I just call it the baseball because I'm 45. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, Vice's crypto, but you guys just did a crypto documentary. Right, and it's very pro crypto, right? You guys are super into crypto. You guys love. Oh yeah, it. yeah, yeah. We're super. We're super pro crypto, DeFi, Web Tim's three, buying all the these. Dip. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I will. I will definitely plug our uh, documentary series, Crypto Land, which is awesome. It's uh, releasing on Thursdays on YouTube. You can check it out by like googling Crypto Land Vice, and you'll find it. And it is really swell. And if you know absolutely nothing about what all this uh, falderall is all about, and you know words like meme coins um make you itch this is really good and fun for you as somebody who is uh often confused by lots of this stuff i am glad i work with such a bunch of smart people who know so much more than i do and can explain it so well um of course in the service of getting everybody out of evil fiat currency and into things like not you know, consuming seed oil because <laughs> for reasons I'm not clear on that apparently makes your, that apparently makes your decentralized holdings grow in strength and power. Yeah. It's a question. It's all a, it's a soy thing. If you, if you do too much soy, then your coins don't grow. Well, so then you you're a soy to, boy. Right. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be raw meat. It's gotta be no seed oils. 
And if anything, I mean, it should be play to earn. Like in the same way that this podcast is, is everybody that listens, every minute that you listen, you get a small amount of Drew coin. Uh, That's right. You'll later be able to redeem in yeah, our you, company store. Yeah, you, you get a free cold hamburger with that. Marchman, um, what have you learned about the crypto industry from uh, this documentary, from your, from your staff? And the other question is, do you see anything stopping this at all? Um, well, one really interesting thing I've learned that isn't specific to this documentary, but is um, pertaining to some upcoming reporting, so I won't talk too much about it, but is, is the exact size of the premium that if you have some bullshit business, you can get from investors by saying it's Web3. Like if we had the Drew, um, like the Drew headphone company and you were just making some headphones, Right, And then you wanted to get more money from investors by saying they were like metaverse headphones. There's a pretty specific extra amount of like percentage value that will be attached to your company just by using the buzzwords, which is really funny to me because you would think that savvy investors who are like analyzing the market would account for that, but apparently not. Will anything stop this? Um, I mean, that's a big question, but I tend to think that since the nation state is basically premised on a monopoly over violence and currency, anything that fucks on a fundamental level with the legitimacy of the state will either be met with violence or will be a pathway, you know, like a way station on our path to a benevolent Star Trek type one world government um, possibly lorded over uh, by people who got in, you know, early on Bitcoin or whatever. So, well, you know, one or the other. We'll is see. there a chance uh, then that Mark Andreessen could become the world's dad? Yes, I think I think that's there exciting. is a chance. And I think that's I think that's what he's angling for, which is exciting to me as someone who's like, in a perpetual state of uh, arrested adolescence and relates these titans of the culture to various comic book figures, the fact that he looks like the impossible man from Fantastic Four <laughs> comics makes him like a really good candidate to be our, uh, you know, benevolent and uh, immortal overlord, like with his, his brain in the blockchain, uh, you know, casting holograms of his invisible, uh, impossible man, looking head and, uh, you know, lording over us all. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward. He's got a weirder looking head than me, and my head has, like, <laughs> dents in it, like, visible dents. So well, you have, there's you there's have a, a New Yorker photo of him. There's a New Yorker photo of him that is, like, a stately black and white photograph. It's, like, something you would expect of, uh, you know, like a, a magisterial profile of a secretary of state or something in which his, his head is so pointed that I'm not convinced the New Yorker didn't. Photoshop yeah, he it's text. incredible. Like I think it's getting pointier as well. Like I know there were, you know, when he founded Netscape as a younger man, he still had some hair on there. So we didn't really know exactly what we're dealing with. But I swear that it's gotten more it looks like us like a soft serve ice cream cone at this point that has been licked smooth on the sides. But it's the same sort of like it's <laughs> becoming more of an obvious triangular shape. And that's something that seems to be happening over time, and we're gonna we're gonna be watching that development very closely. You, uh, you could ski down that. You could ski down his fucking head. I mean, that's how that's how steep the fucking yeah. 
the 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 precipice of it is. I we should probably two- watch our mouths though, because there, as uh, Tim said, it's like fifty fifty as to whether or not he winds up taking over the world because he's uh, he's so early on all of this uh, crypto stuff. Well, I want. Yeah, he's yeah. he's on Web five. Can, so that's where his investments are going. I want to go back, Marjorie, and ask you two things. Uh, the first one was I, I was wondering because you had you had two scenarios where. It gets rejected by the establishment, and then you had the joke mode thing where it takes over the world. But it, it seems to me as if we've already begun the process of establishment forces adopting these technologies, selling them as a product, and sort of working them. Like you can get a Bitcoin fund from Fidelity, you can get these from. So it seems to me as if they will simply absorb it as part of the existing, uh, you know, infrastructure that we have that is repressive and retrograde and all those things. And that that seems to be the path. That seems to be the clear path for me for it right now. When I got fucking Matt Damon doing Super Bowl ads for this shit. Yeah, I, you know, if if you're forecasting the future, I think um, saying that we will muddle through and that the established power structures will find some uh, grotesque way of bolting some new development or technology on to to reinforce their own power. And everything will just be uh, slapdash and half-assed and nonsensical forever. Like that's always a pretty solid prediction. The other thing, but, but I do think there's a fundamental. I do think there's a fundamental tension between you know the very idea of what currency is and what it's supposed to represent, and having it not under state control. That it, at some point, whether now or you know uh, maybe it'll play out on the on the you know in the Martian colonies. In, in hand-to-hand combat between the ravaged forces of humanity and Elon Musk's androids. Like there will be there will be a reckoning with this irreconcilable tension. I do I do find it an interesting thing to like read about and think about and not just in you know, because I sometimes I feel very boomeresque being like, ah, it's a scam. It's like because I'm I'm at the stage with my wife now where we call any basically any prosperous business a racket. Like, oh, it's a racket. <laughs> nice. Those rest there are a fucking racket. Like Ascending everything's a fucking racket. Statler and Waldorf's yeah. balcony together. <laughs> Every, everything's a fucking racket. And this screams racket to me. But I'm also, it also makes me very curious about what we consider to, you know, how tangible and intangible thing can be because people are treating these things as tangible objects. And, you know, how that relates to how we think about actual money, which is itself sort of built on a collective trust that it is valuable, even though it's just a slip of paper, and what the differences are between those things. And I still I still think about it quite a bit, and, and I think about it seriously, and then I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's still a racket, but I don't... I, do you ever think about it seriously in that regard, Marjorie? Do you, ever, do you ever take it as legitimate in some sort of strange, ambiguous way? Oh, of course. I mean, it's very easy... It's, it's very easy to make fun of the more... Uh, science fiction prophecy type stuff about all these emerging technologies and to brush them off and dismiss them and say, there's no utility uh, for them. There, there absolutely are real uses for NFTs and the blockchain and, and crypto and the extent to which they are, you know, outright frauds is not substantially different from the way Everything is everything is an outright fraud. There, right. there may be a little, uh, a little more garish in some ways, and a little more obvious because they're new, and we don't take their ridiculousness um, for granted 
the same way we do much of the rest of what we're surrounded by. But, you know, on a, on a basic level, I think anytime you get away from the basic transaction of providing a useful good or service for money or investing in something that you think will be worth more money in the future because it will continue to provide a useful good or service, you're in the realm of scammery and fraudulence to some extent. Um, this one's just a little more so, <laughs> a little more glaringly so than everything else, but it's it's not a difference of kind or what, anything like that. What utility do you find in crypto and NFTs then? Um, there's, I mean, that's a really complicated question and I'm probably not the best suited person to answer it, but I mean, the most obvious the most obvious utility for them is, is privacy. I mean, there, there are ways to either, um, you know, move, move money around, uh, and drugs securely <laughs> and, and, pro and there are also ways to, um, decentralize control over any bit of information. There are, for instance, you know, ways you can use, ways you can use the blockchain to publish information in such a way that some random uh, ham in a can type guy can't go and uh, destroy a website, say, by removing all the pictures or, you know, taking down know articles, taking down articles that powerful people wouldn't like up. And so while it's all, I don't want to say it's all theoretical, but it's all very early stages. I think those are, those are really interesting things that, uh, for instance, archivists and librarians are going to be taking really seriously. My wife's an academic librarian, and I know that at her work, um, you know, and and uh, you know, at other schools across the country, there are people seriously thinking about this. Like, how can we use um, decentralized technology to prevent basically link rot? You know, we all uh, we're all around the same age, and I think we all kind of came of age thinking, "Hey, it's on the internet; it can't ever." You know, it can't ever go away. And we've seen that is absolutely not true. So if you are um if you're using this just to prevent that problem, I think that is fantastic. Now the energy emission problems and everything associated with that are are obviously things people will need to work out. But um yeah, making it so that things don't just disappear because somebody didn't pay their bill is really exciting. This is the challenge with for me with getting my head around all of it is that all of that makes sense to me and like kind of always has. Like I remember people explaining like Ethereum and the that sort of so series of ether backed websites called Civil. This was like years ago, like probably like 5 years ago. And it was all obvious that this was a useful technology and yet it also seemed clear that that wasn't what it was being used for and that the people that were behind it were mostly out to um, sort of get rich in a way that they wanted to get rich. And it still seems to me sort of like this is, and I think, uh, I don't know if, if you're editing him or not, but Edward Anguiso, I think is his name. I don't know if I'm saying it right, right for mm -hmm. you guys. Who yeah, he's, written, he's brilliant and everybody should read all his he stuff. He rules. And his stuff is ex like exceptionally lucid on this to me. Like I have an easier time understanding that than I do almost anybody's. But what he keeps pointing out, because it's the sort of thing that kind of needs pointing out, is that whatever this technology could be, that right now it it sucks. Like it's not only is it like sort of craven and profit 
oriented in the way that everything is kind of craven and profit oriented if you scratch deeply enough. It just doesn't like do anything cool. And it's not clear why anybody would really be into it unless they were trying to sort of hustle somebody else into being into it because yeah, that's where the money comes it's, from. It's like it's almost um it's almost like a horseshoe theory thing. Like if you know nothing about this and you see Mark Zuckerberg um you know saying, Hey, the future is <laughs> this ridiculous landscape where uh, you know, crude avatars that look like they're out of a playstation 2 game bump around with that yeah, like, what if you could other? live like, in the sims we can make that reality yeah, you're like, happen for you you're like this is completely absurd you know you get to the bottom of the horseshoe and you've learned more about it and you're like oh you know this could have all sorts of uh interesting applications for um corporate organization or you know academic librarians who want to make sure that important documents don't vanish or you know all, all these different things you can think of and then I think you get, you know, you ascend to the other end of the horseshoe and you're just like, yeah, no, you know, none of this shit works. No, no one's putting, no one's putting billions of dollars into this stuff because they're really, really concerned about how, uh, you know, the local co-op can <laughs> reform its governing structure. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing Ponzi scheme stuff. People so. do think those apes are cool, though. Like, I think they're stupid, but people think they're cool. Like, Anthony it's... Rizzo thinks they're cool. He loves them. <laughs> oh, guy... speaking of which, we got to talk baseball. We get to get out of the bleeders. We get to talk baseball because baseball actually is going to exist, which is going to physically exist, which is so cool. Opening day is just a week away, which means we get to preview Major League Baseball with America's premier White Sox fan who didn't always, wasn't always a White Sox fan. So that's very exciting, Marchman. So we have a lot. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. Let's talk some. Let's talk some goddamn baseball. Let's All right, talk Gavin Sheets. Yeah, that's right. We're well, you know we're gonna do. We're gonna take a quick break. We're come back and we're gonna start our baseball preview, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. So we're gonna take a break right now. We'll come right back with Tim Marchman. We're back, and we have Tim Marchman with us, our good old friend, and we are going to talk some baseball now. So. We're coming off of a lockout, Marchman, and so I have uh, – the biggest question I have is that um, do you think that this season, or at least the beginning of the season, will be affected at all by the abbreviated spring training that was uh, mandated by the lockout? And then also the free agent frenzy that happened prior to the lockout, how much of, how much of that will affect the initial quality of play and the, in these first two months of the season? Um, I think a lot because it's compounded by COVID. Like, you know, you're coming up, you have players who are, you know, it's been years since they had a really normal, you know, like a run of normal, the normal rhythm of the baseball season has gone for them for consecutive years. So you're definitely going to have, um, you know, they're going to have extra players to account for this on the roster, which is no comment. But, yeah, you're going to have pitchers whose stuff isn't sharp, injury concerns, all the rest of it. This was a very good reason not to have a lockout. I guess no one cared, but certainly certainly it's going to affect things. And one of the things, one of the things I'm really curious about is just how all this mess over the last year is going to play out over the really long term. Like, one of the reasons – it's theorized that pitchers used to be able to, you know, go out and throw 350 innings a year in the seventies 
was that that whole generation, they had um, lower workloads in their formative years due to compulsory military service. So, you know, you're going to have your negative effects. Like you're probably going to see some sloppy play like we've seen over the last couple of years. There might be some injury concerns. We also might see mm. 15 years from now pitchers who are, you know, pitching 400 innings a year because their labrums uh, grew in power and strength so much, not pitching in, uh, you know, not pitching in March, yeah. two out of three years. So, or like spending know, a year at the alternate site instead of getting like ground into dust by someone managing for his job in like the mm -hmm. Sally League or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what about the designated hitter, Marchman? Because that's been adopted by the National League now. How will that affect those teams and players? Because that's that's no small change in how National League teams would operate. Um, I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be too much of a change. Because remember, the National League is like was the only league in professional baseball without one. Um, so everybody's always, you know, everybody's always come up playing in a uh, a DH league. Everyone's everyone's used to it. I think it'll be. Um, I think one kind of meta interesting thing about that is because everyone knew it was coming, but it wasn't a drop dead certainty. Um, American league teams are obviously built with a DH in mind, whereas national league teams, like, you know, some of them are going all in on, we know who our DH is. Some of, some of them are going to rotate a lot. The teams aren't structured to take advantage of it. So it'll be just kind of interesting to see how that plays out this season, whether, there's a scramble as teams that, uh, you know, don't have their uh, Edgar Martinez type in place yet. If they decide to uh, just go with that or if there's some sort of scramble for old guys who can't field. Yeah. As a as a fan of those types of guys of like a rectangular slugger who um, can only like that basically looks like a sort of eight bit rendering of a human being like Dan Vogelbach or like late stage Nelson Cruz. The fact that those guys could uh, just get an extra five years of employment doing what they do because of this rule change is to me extremely good. Uh, can you specify which teams are ready for the DH and which ones like they have a DH set to go and which ones don't? You're putting me on the spot here. I'm going to defer to Roth. Yeah, oh yeah. So Roth, you do that. it. I'd say the team that's most prepared for uh, the DH being um, instituted in the National League is the Phillies. They have seven of them. And it's a really <laughs> no exciting, exciting move uh, on their part to field a team entirely of the guys that I was talking about. They're like, Kyle Schwarber is probably their third or fourth best defensive player right now, which is great. Uh, and eventually, if they decide they want to sell, they could distribute DHs I was, all across the National League and reap the prospect bounty in return. I was so excited when they got Schwarber. Um, I was I was talking to a friend of mine. I live in Philadelphia, and he was like semi-seriously talking about the possibility of Schwarber getting time in center field, like any <laughs> other team, crazy. any other team in baseball. You'd be like, all right, they're they're locked in. They're locked in at DH, and he's he's like a, he's an underrated uh, corner outfielder. Like he has a bad iron glove rep from his early stumbling days, but he's developed over time. Yeah, but, he's like physically yeah, he, fit now, like. He's not he's not gonna kill you in left field, but when he's your best outfielder, like <laughs> uh, will the Phillies be good, Roth? Like even no. though they can't field? Not really. I mean they're gonna hit well. Uh they're a weird team, man. They're kind of like 
built through free agent additions in a way that everybody that's a fan of a team that doesn't spend enough kind of wishes their team was a little bit more like that. But uh, it's just it's a real sort of Homer car type scenario there where it's just a lot of extra fins and bubbles uh, where you might otherwise have been producing useful players. Uh, yeah, through your I know team. I know teams like that. And so the it's weird, though. Like, I do think they'll be interesting to watch in the sense that, like, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to make outs with the people that they have in the field. They really do not have a single above average or maybe even average defensive player that I can think of. Like, am I being unfair to Didi Gregorius at this stage in his career, Tim? Or is that... No, I think you're. I think you're being. I think you're being generous. If anything, um, yeah, they've. I mean, they've probably got six, six or seven left fielders um, s- sprinkled around the field, which is cool. Yeah, I. I like. like I'm that. interested in seeing how it works. Uh, Marshman, do you see, like, in terms of the competitive landscape, is it the Dodgers and then everyone else? Are we safe from a Braves repeat title? I don't want that to happen again. Yeah, I mean the. You know the the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They're ridiculously deep. I think they're the odds-on favorite, but we haven't seen them win. You know, eight straight World Series. It's a glorious thing about baseball. That's only going to do them. It's only going to do them so much good to have, you know, two All-Star lineups. Yeah, I, I think that as good as they are, you kind of can't say that a team is that far out ahead of the rest of the the field like that. And even when there is a team that has been like that, like they're the year the Red Sox won the World Series most recently. And I don't remember what year that was. I want to say it was like 2017. That like they really were like they were just the best team in baseball from the first day of the season. And they cruised through the season and they won the World Series. And then they had to take the team apart. And that like well because of ownership. There's no like real reason why they had to do it. The people that were in charge just got cheap. But for the most part, like being the best team all season long, and this is like again the the fun part about it. Kind of doesn't really matter, and with the expanded playoffs, I think it's like I was it just say. is introducing more chances for things to get stupid. And to the extent that there's anything that that changed in the new CBA that I'm excited about, beyond obviously like extending Dan Vogelbach's viability as a big leaguer um, indefinitely, like I think it's it's that. Like I like watching regular season baseball, but I also love how stupid the playoffs are and. You know, so I'm looking forward to all of it, but I'm definitely looking forward to it culminating in an orgy of randomness and idiocy. Which uh, yeah, I agree with that as like someone who would really prefer not to have playoffs and to just go back to two pennant winners. If you're going to have a hockey style setup, like go all in on it and just make it a completely distinct thing from the regular season. Well, wait, 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 wait. You would still want a world series though, right? Or do you want no world series either? No, I want a world series. This guy's advocating participation trophies. I thought, I thought you were going to go like all college (laughs) football on, on baseball. And I was like, Oh, get the fuck out. No, I mean, it's that, that was the way it was when, like when the Dodgers and the Yankees would play in the world series every year in the fifties, it would be like, there'd be some team that would win like 102 games and just not have a postseason because there was a team that won 103 and that's all that mattered, which does have a, a sort of clarity to it, even if it's unfair. Uh, who are the most interesting teams uh, in each league coming into this season, Marchman? And who are the least interesting teams? And why are the White Sox one of those teams? 
Well, I think the most interesting team is, of course, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, no, you wow. got recused. We'll, we'll get to your White Sox minute in just a second. You got you go outside the White Sox for a second. Outside the White Sox, um, for, 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 for the most interesting team. Um, I don't know. I think it might. I I think it might be the Dodgers. Um, they just, you know, they've got their whole multi-positionality thing going on. Their pitching staff is a little thinner than it has been in recent years. Um, they're pretty far out in front of the field, but I don't feel like they're necessarily the on-paper 105-win team um, that they have been in recent years. The least. The least interesting team might be Cleveland. You would think they might be a little bit interesting just because, you know, I got the baseball prospectus annual recently and opened it and it landed on the Guardians page. And it was the first time that it had really hit me that they are no longer the Indians, which thank God. But like it hit me with the reality that they have this chance to rebrand. They've always been a really smartly run team. And they're just completely giving up. Yeah. And there's just um, there's just not that much going on with a largely create a player roster. Um, it's weird you know, too I because think- they have like two absolute elite stars, and then they've just made the choice to surround them with, like you said, just like you know whatever Ray McSniff and a bunch <laughs> of like just I like that. Tony Gonzalez off the you know whatever. Uh, Great neural network name list. Yeah. And then they're also, they've also got the thing going where they've got um, like sons of guys, which is pretty, uh, pretty cool, but not that interesting. Um, oh, are they the ones that have Carlos Baerga too? Or is that another? They have team? like, they have like Paul Quantrill's son and Dan Plesak's nephew. Wow. Yeah, those like, are guys. guys. Those Timmy are guys. such guys. Baseball yeah. has such good guys. I love it, man. Like, yeah, they, I may well be missing other, uh, you know, like second generation guys. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. It would be, I like the idea of that being something that, like, they actually, it's not a sentimental thing at all that they've got some algorithm that's identified that Cal Quantrill's experience. <laughs> As, like as a zygote being near Paul Quantrill uh, helped him figure this stuff out. They are. And I should also, really say the. Oh, sorry go, to step on you, but I should also. I mean, the Blue Jays to me are they're really, incredible. They're my favorite. yeah. I mean, the team is you know the team is is great. They're they're really going for it, um, and they have this really freaky thing going on with the with the vaccine mandate, which just as a um, just as a competitive thing, they have this incredible advantage um they they really have the potential to have this ridiculous home field advantage with teams coming in you know because the anti-vaxxers can't play in canada correct yeah and every team at least in their division i mean certainly like it's known that every team has some bonehead guy that's just like you know has read ten thousand instagram posts and figured out the secrets of virology and therefore, like, Aaron Judge can't play in Toronto. That's 10 games. I was going to say, the Yankees have, like, 90 of these guys. Yeah. The Yankees kind of do have a lot. It's, I mean, and with the that advantage that Marchman was talking about, like, that's why when Trevor Story signed with the Red Sox, it was, like, basically a condition of his contract that he had to get vaccinated. He didn't get vaccinated last year, and he did it because it was, like, they were basically not going to commit you know, the nine-figure contract to a guy that would not be able to play crucial in-division games against a team that they're probably going to be 
battling it out with for first place. It's one of the most stupefying things to me in sports right now is that there isn't more of what I've expected all throughout the pandemic. I mean, we've obviously seen some of it, but that Beefer and the Squelch aren't just screaming, screaming, you know, you're going to let those goddamn Canadians win the American League East, the most competitive division in baseball, because you can't get a shot, you coward. Yeah. Like, there's really not anywhere near as much of that as I would have um, both expected and frankly hoped for. Yeah, Tim, um, I, re- I took a really long position on that as an idea back when Michael Irvin was talking about it during the football season. And I was like, this is it. This is the thing that's going to work. Because you can't necessarily appeal to the better angels of like just small business tyrants and people who have been completely like their brains have just been turned into chowder by Facebook. Like you can't get them to be like, take care of your neighbors, take care of your family. They don't like those people. But if you were to be like, do your job, like be a winner, like and yeah, show right? commitment, like, that could work. And it it's somehow like that line of argument just never got picked up. How many, like, how match. many, but how many behind the scenes uh, shoots have we seen of like pregame speeches in the locker room and like some, some coach is like setting his head on fire or he's like decapitating himself. <laughs> he's like, that's what you need to do to win in this league. And that we're not getting this with people screaming about how any Red Sox player who isn't boosted should be executed is just like a huge missed opportunity in sports discourse. Maybe yeah. we'll get it. Honestly, Maybe the like- Blue Jays will bring that about. It's not necessarily like PC speech chilling people, but it's the same sort of broader idea where it's basically like that is a thing that people who otherwise are paid to go on the radio every day and just absolutely show their asses in the most humiliating possible ways. That's the one thing you can't say on like big city Northeastern sports talk radio is that everybody should get vaccinated. Yeah. And it's the thing, the thing that, like, because, you know, I'm as tired of the pandemic as, as anybody is. And I'm almost like when Eric Adams was like, well, Kyrie can play now. And uh, I really wish I got a nose ring. Like, I was like, whatever. Uh, I, like, <laughs> yeah, but well, it's it, always but it, going in that direction. But it still you know? lends an awful lot of legitimacy and credence and most important encouragement to the greater anti-vaccine movement. And I know, Marchman, you have covered this over advice. And I'm, you know, especially Anna Merlin as well. So I'm, I'm concerned that by letting it go... Um, you know, it gives the people who don't want to get like a measles shot for their fucking kids, you know, even more incentive to to hold out and not do it. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, figures like Kyrie, they're they're powerful, symbolic figures. There's that 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 really does send a bad message. Um, I mean, is there, there I don't think there's a more like famous anti-vaxxer in America right now, like Maybe I no, probably right. Like it, I think Ted Cruz is vaccinated. I don't know. No, and the you know the second he, um, you know the second he sat out on his conscience. Like I'm in some really, really, really horrible like Telegram and Facebook groups, just <laughs> checking out what people you? are saying for for work. <laughs> for work. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, he was instantly like he was he was instantly an idol. Um, people, people were really, really into that. Uh, I do think that in addition to, you know, obviously public health is, should be the, 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 the major determinant of, of what Adams is doing in terms of policy, but sure. I wish they're paying a little more attention to the, uh, 
resonance of that when they make those decisions, it is in effect the symbolic way of saying culturally like, hey, everything's back to normal, everything's cool. And, you know, it's not, and pretending it is won't make it so, but by God, it looks like, <laughs> looks like everyone's going to try. The one thing that's interesting about the way that this has manifested in baseball is that Kyrie, obviously, like, I think that's all correct, but he's also like, he's a pretty charismatic performer and he's, he's good. He's kind of, and he has these kind of like, you know, broad and strange politics that like could be read in the same way that a lot of anti-vax stuff could be read as like appearing left-ish whether they are yeah, or yeah. Not. kind of kind of anti-authoritarian and the the thing i'll give him credit for and to a, a lesser extent i guess aaron Rodgers, but but it's kind of similar is that they're like floridly batshit about this stuff yes whereas the baseball culture is absolutely like we will not discuss this for any reason. And then you go and find the uh, Instagram of the wife of the person who refuses yes. to discuss it and says it's a HIPAA violation. And invariably she is, um, you know, just she is, being, she's like, following some root really cures this. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like when they really ask, crazy shit. It's like when they yeah. ask, you know, it's like when they ask Rizzo if he's vaccinated and he's like, well, you know, and like the second he doesn't say just yes, like, you know, he's going to give you right. just like, three paragraphs of just absolute horseshit that com- clearly, clearly make, that makes it clear right, that he's not is, vaccinated this is what's interesting about it is that like, yes, that's obviously true. Like totally correct. Once somebody like takes a deep breath and says like, you know, does like a fucking New Yorker Euro step before they even say yes or no, goes back to Jonas Salk or whatever. Obviously, you know what answer you're getting. It's a really interesting question. Really interesting question you asked me. Uh, baseball players are so boring as a general rule that like even, so this is something that is maybe of more interest to me uh, as somebody that watched him and cheered for him for a long time. The best and really the only significant remaining unsigned free agent in baseball right now with all due respect to Johnny Cueto, is Michael Conforto, who was a Met for a long time, and then they offered him the qualifying offer. He declined it, which means that any team signing him, there would be the Mets would get a, a draft pick in return. So Conforto is not vaccinated, and that's pretty widely known. Like he's not answered the question uh, directly, which is basically how you know it. Like he's just been like a personal choice guy for fucking two years now. So Conforto would help any team in baseball. Like, he's a guy coming off the worst season of his career, but he's a good player, and at this point, like, is not... I mean, he would help the White Sox a lot. He plays right field. They really kind of don't have anybody I was just, doing I was now. just going to say, uh, the White Sox just traded for a guy who... This guy, Baisley, who profiles as, like, homeless man's Adam Engel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the one thing you already have five of. You had to get, a, you had to get the Phillies version of that. But yeah, and so, but Conforto, I think a large part of why he's not signed is that he's not vaccinated. And like, you can't really report that story. It's sort of hard to know. Teams aren't going to say it. Conforto isn't going to say it. And yet, like, that is kind of more like how this stuff actually plays out in the real world than the Kyrie situation is, because Kyrie is exceptional. Yeah, especially because we've been seeing a lot of these really weird minor trades where it's pretty clear that some team that has like seven unvaccinated utility men wants to get rid of one of them and get one vaccinated utility man to have. And so there's these trades in a, in a straight baseball sense are both like really insignificant and kind of don't make any sense unless you assume that one or both of the teams 
are trying to somehow balance out their depth with vaccination status yeah. Yeah. as a factor. And, or and the they teams can't that have taken that. like different approaches on vaccination where like the Rockies are like, fine, we'll take your unvaccinated guys. It's no problem. Well, other teams that don't give a fuck, like because they're in the National League and aren't going to play Toronto that much. I think there's an element of that, but I like, think it's like I also think like the Diamondbacks don't really give a shit. Right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that there's teams where they maybe in the way that like the Bengals like 10 or 15 years ago were like, if a guy on your team got caught like stealing a car, the Bengals would try to buy low on that dude because they were like, we got a lot of guys that steal cars and like that's part of our team culture and we make it work. Uh, well, Whereas, then let's bring this home, Marchman. Can you give me a World Series winner? Can you give me... Uh, your favorite hitter and your favorite pitcher coming into uh, this season. Can you give me those three things? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll recuse myself from making White Sox predictions. No, so no, I will you're say, free. You can, say, you can make White Sox predictions. Sorry. No, I will say the Blue Jays. I think that's potentially in, in short series situations. I think the vaccination thing is huge. And I think... You know the players who the players who by now have refused it. I don't think the prospect of them costing their team the World Series will um, will do that much to sway their mind. Yeah. So yeah, so I think far. I think the Blue Jays. They're you know they're they're a great team on paper and they have this ridiculous advantage. So I would predict uh, Dodgers Jays series with the Jays taking it. Um, my favorite hitter. Coming into the season as uh, Eloy Jimenez, that is that is partially that is <laughs> Many partially biased. Many such that cases. Is, that is partially biased, but he's also a really, really, really fun hitter to watch because he has he's this tall guy. He has this really sweeping kind of long swing that looks like he should. You know, he almost looks like uh, Richie Sexton at times, like this hugely awkward long swing. But it's still it's really tight barrel the ball like it, it's much cleaner and shorter than it looks so that's just kind of fun to watch when he's at the plate and when he's hot he's just like you know he's a guy who who just absolutely destroys the ball um the pitcher this is this is cheap but otani i mean yeah you know yeah he's right. he's, he's he's the guy uh, He's the coolest. Roth, do you have a do you have a favorite uh, or do you have an MP, MVP favorite coming in? I mean, I think that uh, Marchman's World Series pick would probably have been mine. Not just in the sense that I think it's it's decently likely. I think those are like the two funnest teams, or that's not a you know, technical term, whatever. But the two teams that I am most excited to watch, you know, beyond the less good team that I cheer for uh, in both of those divisions. MVP wise, uh, like it's hard to. I mean, not say Otani, like, I just feel like what he did last year, if he can do it again, like, or do anything like it, like, that is the most valuable player in baseball, like, the guy that does that much. But he gets hurt. He gets hurt. He does get hurt. And, and the Angels still to, only win 60 games a year. And it's hard to play that much baseball, and, you know, one never knows. The thing that I'm uh, sort of perversely curious about, like, so I think Juan Soto's probably the, the best hitter in the sport right now. With, oh, I love Juan Soto. Trout. Love him. But he could walk 200 times in that lineup this year. And I'm really curious as to, like, how he is going to be handled. Because there's basically, there's two other above-average hitters in that lineup. And you can only arrange them around Juan Soto in so many ways that it won't be advantageous to walk him and just deal with facing Josh Bell or Nelson Cruz or whatever. And that... uh 
I don't know. I'm I'm curious if he's going to have like one of those weird lopsided Barry Bond seasons where he hits like 270, but his on base percentage is like 425 because teams are just opting to put him on all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. He's 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 an absolute blast to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think he's. he's so I think funny. I decided uh, at some point a week ago or two weeks ago he's my favorite baseball player. I don't think. It's, I think he I might think be my close. favorite baseball player. Like he's really cool. Acuna is really cool. I'm looking forward to him coming back. Like the National League East is is fun. I mean, I think for as bad as the Nats are probably going to be, and as like kind of. Uh, grim and bad vibes as the Mets invariably are there's like a lot of weird teams in that division I'm kind of looking forward to wasting a lot of my summer watching them make mistakes at each other I'm also I'm also weirdly looking forward to uh to Scherzer because it's gonna be so wrong seeing him in that uniform I know he's been Um, I've loved watching him in spring training man he's more pissed off in the third inning of a spring training game than I've ever been in my life (laughs) He's just seething while he's like striking out some like non-roster invitation guy from the Marlins. I fucking love it. My uh, my World Series pick, of course, is the Minnesota Twins, uh, and I don't even they're know who's on gonna the Twins. They're kind of going to be good. Hey, hey see, like, I, or at least they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. I don't know what the who is going to pitch for them. They need to sign some. They would be a great a fit for Johnny Cueto if Johnny Cueto can still pitch at all. But well, let's remember a guy, uh, and in honor of you. Marchman, we're going to remember a guy that I think we've remembered before, but I don't give a fuck. It's former White Sox hitter, Ron Karkavice. Remember him, Marchman? I remember remembering him. I'm, yeah. I'm virtually <laughs> certain. Also, like, deep in the inception of You know, this, he's, like, he's, 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 like, one of my go-to guys. Like, just when I think of guys, like, one, he's one of the first, like, him and, like, a, Ron He's Kittle. a great guy. And if, so, if we went back to a previous remembering session and I'm repeating talking points, then I that, apologize. That's all right. One thing that's amazing to me is that he played um he played until 1997 which is one of those um it's one of those weird things like someone will tell you like a shocking historical fact you didn't know was that you know John Adams uh John Adams actually was was the secretary of the navy in World War II. You know? Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he lived a surprisingly long time. Yeah, like, I think where a guy crosses from one era into the other just like kind of freakishly and uncannily like, let me look up how old he is because he's not that. Like, if you just asked me, like, purely on impression and intuition, how old he was, I would say like seventy-three. He's fifty-eight. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea how how this is possible. Like, just you know, a steady, solid receiving guy, um, longtime white White Sox fixture, obviously, and someone who has worked space time by by being much much younger than seems at all possible yeah he also had that that ball player thing from the 80s and 90s where like so when i think of what a ron karkovice baseball card looks like i'm basically seeing uh the dad from fargo like harv presnell that's like the deal seems pretty sweet like that's what i think of ron karkovice as looking like and that's not fair but he was also like he was a 26 year old man who looked like he was 50 and had a blonde mustache yeah like, there was no way for anyone to ascertain how old he actually was he's got real hard personnel energy and yeah and it's it's something i think about a lot because i think obviously part of it is aging you know when you're in your 40s you don't think that um people in their 40s look as old as you did when you were eight right so that's part of it but i also i really do believe that people objectively are aging much much slower than they used to their whole like classifications 
of guys that you simply don't see anymore. Probably like it's some combination of lead paint smoke, you know, yeah. people no longer smoking everywhere and like people using sunscreen or something, but people just don't get as haggard as, as yeah. they used to. And, and I especially think baseball players, but especially like ball players too. Cause it was like, there was whole generations like during our lifetime where like the only things that they could eat, like you were allowed to eat the sprig of parsley that came with your steak, but no other vegetables could enter your body. Like those were the rules. Right. No one was using sunscreen. And everybody was smoking. And so, you know, you had a guy like Jerry Royce who looked like a, a, like a suitcase with, yep. with a mop glued <laughs> to it. And, um, and now you've got, you know, who's, who's the oldest guy in the league now? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, the so guys that are in their late 30s, we've mentioned Nelson Cruz a few times. There's probably some reliever who's still like kicking around like i know that darren oliver isn't pitching anymore but if you told me he was i'd be like oh good for him <laughs> uh it's sergio romo at 39 years old that's not very yeah, old i i'm used to athletes going yeah to i used to guys a little little older than that being uh, Mickey cabrera, feel like sergio Mickey, uh, Mickey cabrera is number four on that list so we that's the biggest name player that uh that I think yeah and neither of whom you know neither of whom remotely look like Ron Karkovice did when he was 24. Right. I was going to say, like, Sergio Romo, like, is cooler and more youthful seeming than anybody who played baseball before the year, like, 2005 ever was. Yes. Uh, let's open up the fun bag real quick from Marchman for old times' sake. Uh, this is from Jacob. He writes in Marchman. He says, I always used to make fun of my dad because he frequently naps with a pillow, sweatshirt, or blanket covering his head and face. As I've been getting older and napping more, I find myself doing the same. Is this a common dad nap practice? Marshall, have you ever covered your entire face with a sweatshirt or a blanket while you're napping? Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. Really? I like yeah. I put like a pillow over my face. It blocks out all the noise of kids with their like consternation and tomfoolery. And I think it also signals that you're napping and you want to be left. Alone. Yeah, fuck it. It's like a, like a fuck it's off like sign. It's like an occupied sign over your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone's in here. Sorry. Yeah, I, don't, I don't do that because, if, and I don't even remember as, as a kid, like pulling the sheets like up, up over my head. I remember it, I'm being conscious of the sheets touching my face and not liking that. Like I don't, I didn't like that. And But I do nap with my hood on my hoodie up so that my- yes. My head is all cradled, but I would not. I can't put anything on my face. Uh, this is from Kyle. Last one. Uh, Kyle writes in. Recently, I was suffering from a pretty severe bout of gastric diarrhea-based distress that kept me in the bathroom for hours. I wasn't confident enough to go out to get to go out to my TV to watch something between contractions, so I was stuck in the shitter with my phone. I couldn't summon the focus to read anything or listen or watch anything funny because laughing hurt. So I settled on watching a pretty serious documentary about the Boeing Supermax planes that were crashing. <laughs> and it kind of worked. Is it best to take in dark content? We're in, we're in a shitty mood, Marshman. Do you do that? Oh, man. That sounds horrible. Uh, yeah. I, I, feel I, I love it. <laughs> I feel really bad for this guy. Yeah. Um, no, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm feeling under the weather... Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be dealing with, uh, some grim documentary about how regulatory capture led to like the unnecessary death of thousands of people. I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably risk, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably risk hurting myself with laughter. Yeah. I, uh, 
I love this idea. And this is because I'm I'm stupid and don't know how to live or take care of myself. But the idea of like seeking that kind of equilibrium between how <laughs> you are feeling and what you are consuming, like the idea that that at the at the most like I don't even want to say like the logical conclusion of that, but like the diarrhea based version of that is just basically finding the, the most infuriating frontline documentary that you can <laughs> and then streaming it in portrait mode on your phone, <laughs> like fucking a yes, like go for it. I mean, not to say that it sounds like fun, but like it seems like, you know, the guy had a game plan. He went out there and executed it like can't gainsay that at all. I can watch heavy shit to relax. Like, you know, like people watch the leftovers and stuff like that, but I don't want to watch something that's going to make me like angry. Like, I don't want to watch like Mitch McConnell give a speech like that's not going to help me unwind. So it has to be like it has to be it can be serious, but it can't be something that like triggers my rage complex i will say that watching so when i had covid on christmas day and watched the irishman which is something that i was later revealed to me (laughs) that a friend of the program gabe fernandez does with his family every christmas no matter what that that's their their tradition is they get together and watch it the feeling of watching the irishman over the course of a long overcast christmas day spent alone with the novel coronavirus that is probably the closest (laughs) i've come to this and it absolutely worked like, you really felt that sort of, like, distension of time that the movie is going for. Like, I was living it for, uh, you know, three-plus hours. Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at it. And also, I've not mentioned this before, but I'm going to do it now. Roth and I host a live call-in show on AMP, Fridays at 11 a.m. Uh, go to my Twitter feed. I have a pinned tweet uh, up about it, about the instructions for doing it. But you can you can call in, you can shoot the shit with us, and listen to some tunes uh, every Friday. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And while we're at also, Tim Marchman, our old bestest colleague in the world, you can find his work and the work of his colleagues over at Motherboard at Vice. So, Marchman, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank man. you for having me. Motherboard's the best website there is that isn't defector. I really do believe that. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for coming on. And fuck Duke, everybody. Fuck Duke. And we will see Yay. you next week. Fuck Bye. Duke. Bye. <laughs>